Reimagining Black Relations, a podcast on solutions to issues relating to the Black race. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Black Relations. I'm your host, Dr. Francesca Fajimi. If you've ever had any dealings with Blacks, you have a Black matter, so this is for you. Together, let's begin to shape and reimagine our Black relations. Whether you are Black, white, or brown, trust me, you will learn, gain, and execute just by listening. Come along. Our guest today is Pastor Greg Hendricks, a former pro basketball player and volunteer assistant with Seattle Supersonics. He's currently the pastor of Rock Church, East County, San Diego campus. In the NBA, Greg worked with players like Ray Allen, Rashad Lewis, and Luke Ridnor. He averaged 23.7 points per game when he was playing in Mexico. He suffered a torn ACL, anterior crucial ligament, and that inadvertently led him on the road towards his next career. Hendricks finished his career in Ukraine during the 2009 and 10 season, but then he received a higher calling to serve others. Greg was also president and director of Ejike Ubuaja Foundation, a nonprofit based out of Nigeria, Africa, and a member of the advisory board of the Olivia Hudson Foundation. Pastor Hendricks, welcome to Reimagining Black Relations. Oh, thank you for having me, Francesca. It's, a, it's an honor. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and I'm super excited to have a great conversation with you today. Wonderful, wonderful. You're going to have to tell us a little bit about yourself, especially your younger days. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Right. Yeah, I was born in San Diego, California. I grew up here for about a good 22 years. Single mom home, uh, mixed, mixed family. Uh, my mother was Hispanic, but my father was Black. Um, I don't know my father till this day. Uh, you know, I grew up without a dad in the home. Me and my sister have a very, very small family. And, you know, my grandmother and my grandfather, but who, who have both uh, gone on to be with the with the Lord in this point. And so growing up here in San Diego, you know, it's California life. And, you know, you kind of making do getting by and trying to discover who you are. And it was a it was a bit of a roller coaster for me, considering, again, I didn't have any male influence in my house. I didn't have any uh, male uh, speaking into my life, which really impacts me. My mother did an amazing job and she she gave her best, but she also had to wear multiple hats um, that most single mothers have to do. They have to work, they have to you know provide, they have to do all these different things for uh, the children in the home. So, you know, I'm very thankful for that. But growing up here, uh, I graduated. I went to high school here in San Diego. I graduated and got a chance uh, to go to college, uh, the first in my family ever to go to college. So I got a chance to go to college and I went to a, a school in here in California. My first year, didn't I didn't necessarily like it per se. And then I transferred to another school here in California and played there for two years. Um, got a chance to meet some incredible people. Um, um, probably the most incredible person that I got a chance to meet was my wife. That's where we actually met. I met when I was in junior college, who I've been with now. We've been together for 22 years. And then uh, I graduated that junior college and I went to Division One in Kentucky, Moorhead, Kentucky at Moorhead State University. Shout out to Moorhead, who's in the tournament this year and uh, got a chance to play there. Uh, graduated in 2001 and you know kicked off my professional career. I got a chance to travel the world and see so many faces and. Um, you know, and then my last year playing pro, like you alluded to in the in the intro, um, you know, God, God got a hold of my heart and things really changed, you know, for the better, um, even though I didn't quite understand and didn't even have any type of grid or church background. God was like, hey, I got something better for you. That was awesome. That was really great. Now, you said your mom is Hispanic. Mm hmm. Yep. Did she raise you as a black person or as uh, Hispanic or biracial? Both. My home was obviously a lot of the food uh, was from both cultures. Um, my grandmother was Hispanic, uh, but all my friends, you know, were black, especially because I play I play basketball. So a majority of the kids that played basketball were African-American. They were black kids. So all my all my upbringing was around black culture. Um, you know, the music, the style, 
the swag, the language, everything was 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 of that culture uh, growing up. Um, even though my mom was Hispanic, but my mom always made me made me understand about having a healthy balance of both cultures. Um, so, you know, there'd be times where she teach me things about African-American history, but then there's also times she's teaching me about um, Hispanic history. And I think that's really that's really wise because you want to have a, a, a well-rounded perspective of being a minority in general. You know, when you're a minority, whether you're Hispanic, whether you are Native uh, uh, Indigenous, uh, Native American or you are Black, uh, you want to have a well-rounded view of what it means to be a, a, a minority in this country or even in the world. But I also think, you know, it's it's good to have a well-rounded view from multiple perspectives. So when you are, you know, trying to come up with great solutions for culture in general, you have a, 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 a well-rounded perspective on how those answers can come about, not just from one lens. So, you know, I was very thankful that 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 was the case. But a majority of my upbringing, you know, was all African-American culture. You know, the only part that probably wasn't was just within my home, um, you know, in regards to the some of the food and, uh, you know, that type of thing. But, yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. That was my upbringing when I was younger. First, I want to give a shout out to your mom because she did a phenomenal job keeping you grounded in who you are, right? There was no confusion about who you are. So she did a great job making sure you're able to identify within yourself of who you are and also have a great appreciation of other cultures. Did she talk to you about, you know, that conversation Black parents usually have with their Black male children? Mm -hmm. Did she talk to you about it? What did she say if she did? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we would have conversations because oftentimes I would ask questions that maybe a lot of young uh, kids are asking nowadays is how come this happens, but this doesn't happen? Or how come this person can get afforded this and we can't get afforded this? You know, there's certain questions on why do they have, why don't we have, or, or, you know, how can we have what they have, you know, these types of questions. And she would always take the time to explain and she always gave me hope. She what she never did is told me that that was just for them and you can only get this far. She always gave me uh, the uh, ability to dream further than what my mind can even through the ceiling that was on my mind, which is great. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn as African-American community, as a Hispanic community, um, just in people in general, is that you never want to put a cap on a young person's mind and tell them what they can't do. Now, should you make them aware that they're going to come against some some roadblocks here, maybe some 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 things that are pretty blatant here? Yes, absolutely. But you you navigate and you talk through those things and say, hey, this is how you overcome. This is not this is not you don't destroy other people's lives and you trying to get to your goal. But you want to be able to overcome so you can uplift and help other people get to that same space, because anytime you receive some type of information or revelation or understanding on how to progress, your duty at that point is to be able to pass that to the next generation, which is the young people whether they're here in America, whether they're in Nigeria, Africa, whether they're in Brazil, whether they're in Mexico, whether they're in New York or California and everything in between. You want to be able to have these conversations. And even if they don't look like you and maybe they're not the same background as you, that you, like you said earlier, you're so rooted and grounded in who you are that you can have conversations with people who don't look like you or hey might not be able to di- that disagree with you but you can have so much confidence and so much power when you are able to have calm in having this conversation because the end the end goal is to come up with great solutions for the next generations including the one that you're currently in right now. Whoa, thank you pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good answer. (laughs) That was a great answer. That was a great answer. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to ask you whether you've had any memorable encounter on the issue of racial discrimination. Yeah. I mean, I've had, you know, a couple instances, a few instances, some of them really blatant where they just call you the N word, Um, you know, kids at school. I went, I, when I was growing up, I, I got a chance to go, 
uh, to uh, uh, the school at the time was newly built, but it was in an all white area. And so, you know, very wealthy area. But I wanted to go there because uh, a majority of my friends were going to be transferring there. I played on I played basketball with primarily all black kids and our whole team wanted to just go to a new situation because we all wanted to be together because uh, community was very important. And obviously, when you're um, in those types of areas, you know, you encounter, you know, sometimes the white kids would call you the N word or you would, you know, get into tussles, things of that nature. So there was that blatant stuff. And then there was, you know, the the covert racism where you you go into, you know, maybe you go into a restaurant and they don't give you as fast of service or they don't give you as quality of service uh, towards towards you or, you know, they they don't they talk down upon you. You know, I I I've seen it also, you know, traveling the world and being in other countries. You see it in other countries as well. It may not look the same as it looks here in America, but it could be a, a social, a, a, a sociograph thing like, hey, you don't make this amount of money. So we're going to be, you know, we're going to talk down upon you. So I've seen multiple layers of, of different types of racism. And every single time, to be very honest with you, is it, I feel it's always been an opportunity for you to grow in your maturity. If you're a male, female, to grow in your maturity on how you would handle the situation. Do you blow up and, you know, and just, you know, fly off the hinge? Some people have done that before. And sometimes it's justified, but sometimes it's not justified. Do you, do you, how do you handle it? How do you grow in this moment? Do you, um, do you fight with your words or do you fight with progressing in your actions and your maturity? You know, like I, I always look at it at, as opportunities to grow and to have greater conversation. And and to be very honest with you, it's not, it, hasn't, it wasn't easy by far. It wasn't easy at all. It, you know, there's been times where, you know, you had to bite your lip or bite your tongue or, or really not say what was on your mind or fly off the cuff and hurt somebody either physically, emotionally, or verbally with your words, because there's something greater at stake here. And what's greater at stake here is how do we come up with really great solutions and answers, not only for ourselves, but for the people that we're attached to, whether it's family members, whether it's our country, whether it's the next generation. And I feel you gain those answers out of those tests when you are being tested in that. Um, so I did to answer your question. I did. I saw all types of of different types of racism from the sports world. <laughs> I've seen it in the church world. You know, I've seen I've seen it uh, in different regions of our country. Um, I went to school in Kentucky, you know, and Kentucky in the south is notorious for that. I, I, I remember going into a restaurant one time with a teammate. Uh, we were on the same team, white teammate of mine. And we sit there and have breakfast and we walked in to this place they they we were our whole team was actually there that week so they saw all of us but then i walked in with my teammate maybe you know uh, a week later and they act like i wasn't even just in the restaurant but they would you know very polite to him talk to him but me no you know and so you know he was upset he, he was probably more upset than i was but i again i looked at it as an opportunity to grow 10 inches in my maturity um in my heart because I know what my mom told me. I know what, first of all, what God says about me, you know, and I wasn't even a believer in God back then, but I know true to my heart who I am and how to handle the situation. So, yes, I've seen it at multi levels. Absolutely. Uh, it does take a lot of maturity, you know, like a matured mindset to think in that manner. We do have instances like George Floyd from last year, which George did not have the opportunity to do anything, right? Brianna Taylor did not have that opportunity. So that leads to anger and frustration there. How long are you going to do this for? I think the position we are in right now is we've seen it. Now let's talk about what needs to happen. Before we go deeper into that, though, I'm interested to know about that foundation that you you were leading for a couple of years. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was called the Educate Obaja Foundation, and I was the president of it for four years. Um, and we would go to Nigeria, Africa every summer, and it was one of the 
one of the most cherishable moments in my life. Uh, I love to travel anyway. I love culture. Um, I love talking to young people, especially. Um, I love talking to people who, you know, don't have any grid for God or know anything about God. So at the time, it was coming up on my last year playing professional basketball. I actually played with this with this individual. And he had asked me, he said, hey, man, would you come? And he had started this camp and he was running a camp. And he said, hey, would you come and teach at the, be willing to teach in my camp in Nigeria? And I said, man, absolutely. On one condition. And, you know, if I could just talk about God and mind you, I didn't have any relationship with God at the time. I, I you know, would read the Bible, but, I, you know, it was like reading. I might as well have been reading a foreign language. I really didn't understand all of it, but I got the context a little bit. And so he said, yeah, man, absolutely. You can come on out. Well, when I first went, my very first time I went, I, I took a hockey bag full of basketballs, a carry on and another hockey bag full of Bibles. And we went to uh, Nigeria. And in this foundation, essentially, we would have a basketball camp for young kids, uh, male and female. And we set up a, a relationship with the United States Embassy, uh, just basically saying, hey, we're here to help these kids um, you know, get opportunity to come to America. Well, in this camp, you know, we teach skills. Uh, we would evaluate skills uh, to see if they were if they had an opportunity to come here and potentially go to college. Well, a lot of them ended up having a lot of skills. If you've ever been to Nigeria, I mean, the kids are you know 15 years old and they're seven foot one. You know, it's just incredible uh, just to see how big they are at such a young age and. And just so rich in resources and culture and history, just being in Africa and Nigeria, the food, the spices, the smells, is just incredible. So we would go there and we would have these camps and I was teaching, but I also was sharing the gospel of, of, of God uh, to these kids. Some of them were Muslim. Some of them were Christian. Some of them weren't believers. They were just there for opportunity. And a lot of kids ended up giving their life to, to Christ. And, and a lot, I saw a lot of Muslim kids, uh, convert over to Christ based on seeing what the gospel really looked tangibly looked like. Like I feel loved. I don't feel judged. I feel valued. I feel empowered that my dreams can actually come true. Even if I don't go to America, that, that somebody would come all this way to talk to me and see me where I'm at. And so we saw, you know, really radical transformation in a lot of young kids. You know, obviously you can only help so many, you know, end up bringing, you know, I had my total four years, maybe over 60 plus kids got a chance to come to the United States. We got them into Christian schools here in America. Um, you know, a lot of them ended up getting full scholarships to go and play sports at the collegiate level, which was incredible from, you know, these big schools to, you know, division threes and division twos and, um, a lot of them graduated from colleges with full degrees. And the whole premise was, was number one, that they would know God. This was my, my intention in being involved was number one, they would know God. Number two, that they would have opportunity to receive education. And number three, when they graduated, that they would consider going back to their country and help rebuild it back up and add strength to it and add great solutions, things that they've learned over their time. So I ran that for four years and you know, met so many amazing people, saw so many incredible things, came up against some racism in that country as well. Um, you know, just saw a bunch. I just saw life. But I also saw that when you actually apply yourself with the right intention in heart, the right mindset, and you're, and, and you're dealing with young people and you are able to teach that to young people, that sticks with them. Because when they get older, that they would learn the same thing. You, you can erase maybe something that has been implanted in their heart or in their mind, maybe through a family thing or an incident. But when you come with love and you come with the intention to repair and rebuild and empower and help them dream and accomplish their dreams, then they hopefully would do the same thing. And some have and some haven't. But, you know, who are us? Who are we not to try? at least. So I did that for four years and it was an incredible time. Met some incredible people, did some amazing things. And now some of those same kids are actually doing that same model um, now that they've gotten older and have the resources to do so. That's phenomenal. Thank you for contributing not only to United States of America, but all the way over at the continent of Africa. That's amazing. Let's go to the church at this point. 
I would like to know what the turning point was for you. What led you to Christ? What was going on at that time? And why did you make the move? Great question. Um, I didn't grow up. <laughs> I didn't grow up in a church. I had no understanding about God. I didn't, you know, my intention wasn't to do what I currently do now, which is be uh, be a pastor. Um, I had no no type of grid for that whole thing. And quite frankly, growing up, you know, my grandmother was my only introductory to that. And it was her her uh, introductory to me. It was very, very cold, very uh, religious, very it didn't have any connection. I didn't see myself getting involved in it. So when she would ask me to go, I honestly didn't want anything to do with it. Well, my last year playing pro, um, you know, I just I, I can't it came to an end for me. I know my career was over. I didn't want to pursue it anymore. Um, and I came home from the Ukraine and I knew there was something greater, but I didn't, I didn't even know what that was. I, I was just working, you know, a regular job. I lived in a very small town at that time in Washington state called Cleel and Washington's in the Cascade mountains. It's about 2000 people. It's, it's all white. You know, there's like literally seriously, it's probably like one black person in that, in that community, or maybe two, which was me and my, my wife and her, you know, and her sister, which is three. And, uh, you know, I, I was very closed and isolated and just like, man, this is, you know, I don't want anything to do with this. Well, one night uh, uh, at work, um, you know, I was talking to a friend who was actually on on track to become a pastor. And we were just talking about I was just asking him about like, hey, tell me about that. You know, I don't know very much about it, you know, but I'm curious. Uh, and he started telling me about it and he, he actually walked away and he didn't become a pastor, but he was telling me about a church down here in San Diego. And he's like, Hey, there's this church. I think you would like it. The pastor's funny, you know? And I was like, well, I have never, I haven't met any funny pastors. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, let's just that you, you got me in with just being funny. Cause I like to, you know, I like humor. So, you know, I was like, well, let me check it out. He's like, yeah, go online, check it out. So I went online and I checked it out. And I watched a sermon online. This was, you know, in 2009. And uh, I watched another one. And then by the third one, you know, he gives an invitation at the end. Say, hey, if you want to give your life to Christ, you know, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and pray this prayer. It was like, well, you know, I, I and I just felt it felt like someone was like inviting me into something greater. And I didn't even understand what all that meant, you know, but it was just an invitation. It wasn't a demand. It wasn't like you do this. You know, it wasn't you do this and your life is going to be amazing from here. It was just like, hey, do you want something better for your life? Are you willing to go on the journey? I mean, I'm, you know, I go on a journey if I feel like it's going to better my life, you know. And so I prayed a prayer and I promise you, it got really bright in this room for like maybe a minute. It got really bright. I was just crying, like weeping, crying, uncontrollably crying. and. I just felt like a real peace come upon me and I felt purpose come upon me, which was, it's kind of weird, but it was tangible. Like a part, like, okay, this is what I'm called to do. I got it. I got, it. I got the orders, you know? And so it, it, the light went out, the room was like back to normal. I know it's kind of, you know, kind of weird, but this is how it went down for real. And I just was just crying and, and I felt like, a piece, but then I also felt like, okay, I have direction. Like I know where I need to head and I didn't know what it was going to balloon into, but in doing that, you know, Intel was go to fly to San Diego, meet this pastor, you know, you're going to, you're going to do some, you know, God was actually speaking to me, like do this, do this, do this. And so I ended up hopping on this plane. It's a great story. I hopped on this plane. I flew down to San Diego and my my friend who told me about church, he's like, oh, you know, you're coming. Everybody's excited. I had a pretty good reputation in the city, played basketball. And they were like, yo, man, he's back in town. They, we know you've been coaching in the NBA. You've been doing all this stuff in Africa and all this stuff. And this is great. Why are you here, man? What you doing? I said, oh, man, I'm going to church tomorrow. <laughs> and they're like, what? Like, who are you? We don't even know you anymore. Like, <laughs> who who is this guy? You know, who is this guy? We don't even know. I was like, man, you should come with me. And they're like, Nah, man, we ain't trying to go to no church, man. You better, man, get out of here with that, man. We're not trying to go talk about God. And I was like, all right, man, I'll be there tomorrow, man. Hopefully I see you, man. I'm inviting you. And they're like, nah, man, we ain't going. So 
The next day shows up. This was on a Saturday. Next day, Sunday, we show up. We go down to the church and the senior pastor is there. He comes out and he preaches and uh, which is Pastor Miles McPherson uh, of the Rock Church. He's a senior pastor of the Rock Church. He comes out and he preaches and then he goes and stands at the side of the stage. And he doesn't do that anymore. Even pre-COVID, he, he didn't do that. But he's standing at the side of the stage and there's a sea of people. If you've ever been to like a big church that's trying to get to the senior pastor, everybody won't talk to the senior pastor, you know. So there's a sea of people in front of this guy. And I and I go, OK, God, you told me to come down here, make it happen. I just said it like that verbatim and like turn my back. And then I turn back around and nobody's standing there. He's standing there looking at me with his arms crossed. I was like, OK. So I just walk right up to him and uh, he goes, hey, how you doing? He's like joking with me. How you doing, young blood? What's your name? And, you know, da, da, da. And, and I said, oh, my name's Greg. And, you know, and he's like fixing my clothes and, you know, he's like messing with me. He's like, you ask, you know, I said, God told me to come down here and talk to you. You need to pray for me. But he told me to go into ministry. I don't even know what that word means at this point. Like <laughs> he said, go to ministry. And he was like, oh, man, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? I said, yeah, I actually did. He's like, oh, man, you're saved. He's like, well, I'm going to pray for you. And so he puts his hands on my shoulders like this. I put my hands on his shoulders and we have our heads lean towards each other. And the first thing that shoots through my mind uh, Francesca is, is man, I wish I had a picture of this moment because this is something that's, I know to the core of me, this is something that's going to change my life. This is something that I'm going in another direction. I know that. And so we pray, we get done and he goes, Hey man, stay in contact. Love to connect with you. See you later. And he takes off and I go, well, that's that. I did what I was supposed to do. And I came down here and that's that. So as we, we turn to walk out of the church, this woman walks up on me and my friend. They go, hey, my name is such and such with the Rock Church. The L.A. Times is writing a front page article on the church and they want to know if they can use this picture. And they flip the camera around and it's me and him like. This. <laughs> and so I was like, dang, God, does it work that quick? I didn't even say anything like I just thought that, you know, and 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 honestly, the rest was history. I like it just took off from there. And fast forward now, that same moment where that happened, like I'm a pastor in that same church. No, no church. Like I want to be a pastor. It was more so I just want to love people. And the whole reason why I came to the church was so I could be a better husband. I could be a better father to my my kids and I could just learn about God. That was it. That was the only reason why I came. I wasn't like, hey, I want to be some mega pastor. I want to be speaking around the world. I want to be doing this. It's like, I just I just want to love God and love people and be a better dad and better husband to my to my wife. That was it. And now it just it took off from there. And it's really crazy because all the people that you get to impact because of that. Wow. What a powerful <laughs> testimony. My, my, I would never have guessed Coming from your background, no, I mean, your relationship with your grandmother, it was more from a religious standpoint. So it makes church almost like, oh, who wants to do that, right? Right. But what you just described and the friend that told you about the church, he was probably brought in just for that purpose. 100%. And he was proclaimed to be Christian right now. And I believe he is. I know he loves God. But, you know, sometimes there's going to be people or moments in your life that mm. just are like tipping points. You know, mm -hmm. they're tipping points for what you step into when you start your, your black matters. There was a tipping point for you as a, as a woman, like, and you were talking about, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, there was a tipping point for you to say, Hey, you know what? I need to really step in and be a voice for this, a positive voice. Let's, let's bring some really strong, sensible solutions for our children. Let's have great dialogue. Let's have open dialogue, you know, where we're talking to each other. That was a tipping point for you, you know, to where you stepped into what your contribution is, is into society and what God has called you to do. My tipping point, you know, was, you know, and just like you is like, I, I don't have any media background. I don't do this for a living. You know what? But I'm just going to step out because I know this is what I got to do. My tipping point was like, hey, I don't have any grid for God. I didn't, you know, grow up in the church, but I'm willing to go on the journey. Just like you, you're willing to go on the journey and see what happens out of that. 
minimally, if anything, even if you fail flat on your face, you're going to gain a whole lot of experience about what not to do, you know, and so you know what what to do moving forward. So regardless, you're going to you're going to win like you're going to gain something out of it. But I think the best part of the whole thing about God, especially in my case, is God. God, we Christians always desire outcome. Majority of Christians, we're always desiring outcome, outcome. But I feel like the Lord desires journey with us. And the reason why is, is when you go on a journey with God or you allow him to go on, most importantly, a journey with you and you say, yeah, you start to find out things about yourself. You you start to have a greater understanding of him. Like you you, you become in relationship, you know, like all the listeners that are probably listening to this we're going on a journey just in a conversation, but you feel like, you know, the the speaker or the interview viewer or the interviewee because you're on a journey with them. It's the same thing with God. Like you start to understand like, OK, I'm on this journey and then things get bumpy. It's tough. It's tough when you're trying to pull off a podcast and you don't have no background. That's tough. It's tough going to Nigeria, Africa. and You ain't never been there. That's tough. It's tough, you know, having conversation about very sensitive topics like um, what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Those are tough things. However, if you are willing to go on the journey and explore, then you start to see the depth of the answer that you can actually get out of that. And in my case, it was the depth of how good God was for my life and for the people that are attached to me. You know, I have conversations with people that are angry at God and have no relationship with God at all. And it's allowed me to come to the table and have like real conversation with them and not be offended if they are angry at God, you know, but say, hey, let's let's have dialogue. Let's talk about this, you know, and my job is not to convert nobody. That's God. That's the Lord's job. My job is to have the dialogue and be the reflection of the love that was reflected in, to me when I received it. And the same thing for you, you know. Amen, Pastor Hendricks. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your church. Yeah, our, our church's uh, pre-COVID was about 15 to 18 to 18,000, like right in that range. Uh, very diverse. San Diego is a military town, so there's a lot of military families. It's uh, very uh, mixed. Obviously, there's certain quadrants of campuses that have a, a, a majority of ethnicity in those in those campuses. So like up north is prime, you know, it's majority uh, white American. In the east, where I'm at, is probably, you know, it's it's a lot uh, his, uh, uh, Hispanic, uh, white. Uh, there's a huge Chaldean population out here as well. Um, you go down south, it's primary primarily Hispanic, and in mid city, it's it's all over the board because there's multi nations there. I would say our church um, diversity. We're a very diverse church. That's the that's probably one I would say one of our staples of our church is that you have a lot of races from all over the place um, come here. Um, the pastors African American, um, our campus pastors, which I am one of, I'm African American. We have uh, you know three uh, 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 white campus pastors. We have uh, two uh, Hispanic uh, campus pastors, um, and so you know we're pretty diverse, community service oriented. Uh, we love to serve our community. We love serving um, the poor. We love serving the police department. We love serving all people all over San Diego. Um, that's, I would say, is a big staple of our church as well. But it's a phenomenal opportunity to be a part of it. That is awesome. So your church is what the world is supposed to look like. Because from the leadership level, you have you know diversity. And in the congregation, you also have diversity. Because you know, in America today, they said the most divided time in the nation is on Sunday morning. I really do want to get your perspective on the issue of racial division that was brought to light last year. So in your opinion, how did you think we got there? And what was the role of the church? Yeah, great question. I think, I think, you know, unfortunately, <clears throat> this has been building up all the way. Um, and you've had these moments and it's like, okay, we have this issue. We need to take it. Let's have the conversation. And, you know, you kind of brush over it or the person that in certain cases is being maybe uh, uh, misunderstood or maybe uh, the dialogue is not there, but the, the incident is there. And so, you know, you see it flare up. It's a it's a really bad thing. And then it just kind of kind of gets buried and you don't talk about it. 
and then another flare up and then another flare up. And meanwhile, what's happening is is like all the suppression of not having the conversation to come up with some real sensible solutions or progressive dialogue that's being suppressed. So then it's building, it's building, it's building, it's building. And then, you know, unfortunately, you know, what happens with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these things that happened last summer, that was the thing that just blew everything open. And what you saw there was not only the anger for what happened to those people, but what you saw was years and years of years of suppression of not having dialogue to actually say, hey, let's come together and fix this problem. And it can't be just the African-American community. It has to be everybody putting their hands in and and rebuilding this thing for what it should look like. Um, there's a great scripture in Nehemiah, I believe it's in Nehemiah chapter four, um, where Nehemiah is rebuilding something that has been devastated for all these years. And it's just a surmountable task. It's like, and he's not even a, a contractor or a builder. He's a, he's a, a He's a cupbearer. He works in the palace. You know, that's not his background, but he has a burden and he has a calling like, okay, you know what? I'm going to put my hand to the plow and get this thing together. So he has to go to all these different walks and lives of people and uh, and plead to them about rebuilding this wall, you know, that's been broken over all these many years. But they said in that in the scripture, they said something really key. They said, let us rise up and build. He said, let us not let you not let them not let me not let, you know, one person he said, let us. So what you saw was a suppression over all these years. The thing happened that the, these unfortunate events happened in the summer. It blows open. And what ended up happening? There were some things that weren't good, but there were some things that good. You saw a lot of of the African-American community coming together to come and ask and, and come put their heads together, their resources together, influential, you know, non-influential, putting the resource together, say, let's come up with a greater solution. You, you saw even some of the uh the white community, the Hispanic community all joining in, say, like, nah, this isn't right. Like, let's, let's, let's come up with some great solutions. Let's, you know, and now you saw voter people, African Americans voting for the very first time was at its highest. You know what I'm saying? So you saw all these you saw all this progression move forward in the sports world. You saw it in the political world. You saw it all over. And, and even in the church world, there was more dialogue because like you said, alluded to earlier, a lot of it was saying Sunday has been the most segregated day. But you saw churches actually wanting to have the conversation. You saw churches that were primarily maybe one ethnicity saying, hey, we need to learn more about this. How can we help? How can how can we learn about this? You, so, and, and all that is code for progression. And what had happened was the suppression and the 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 tipping point, the unfortunate tipping point of two people, these people losing their lives last year, pushed the conversation forward where people had to actually actually jump in and help. Whether you were black, whether you're white, you were a human being and you want to see not only your country, but you want to see humanity progress forward. And so the church's role in that, from what I saw, was a lot of churches uh, didn't weren't having this type of dialogue because it was like, oh, it don't necessarily impact us like that. We, we preach the word of God and and that's great. But you can still talk about relevant issues and still preach the word of God. Matter of fact, the word of God should impact relevant issues because that's what it's designed to do. The kingdom of God should impact relevant issues because that if you're going to pull a solution from anything, you should pull it from the word of God. But in order for you to pull a sensible solution from the word of God, you got to read the word of God. Number one, you got to live the word of God. Number two, and you got to be connected to the spirit of God to be able to come to the table and have dialogue with people who don't think like you or look like you or have the same opinion as you do. And when you do that, you start to see what we all desire, not only in this country, but in humanity. You want to see progression and you want to see unity um, in that. And I think that's what the churches uh, got a chance to do in this in this season. Hopefully, 
the the goal is is not to just to start the dialogue but is to continue it and make it better because last thing i will say who's attached to that it's not just the current people of this age it's the young people that are attached after us we want to leave them an inheritance and something better so that our ceiling would be their starting point Wow, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, I, I've always wondered how that conversation was held, especially in a church like yours. What was the reaction of your members? You know, you have a very diverse members. How did you handle the discourse and how the church received it? Thank God it is very diverse, but our senior pastor, this is his calling. First, what we did is we had discussion amongst our staff and we allowed our staff to voice their opinion and share their perspective. And what we discovered is that everyone is from, has a different lens on the situation and including black to black folks, because you have some, some black folks who are older and then some who are younger. So their view of racism is different. Their lens for racism is different. And so you have male, female, I mean, this, it it was kind of like very, um, empowering to see and very enlightening to see everybody's perspective. But the beauty was is that the senior pastor was like, let's have the conversation. Let's talk about it. And so we started with our staff first, because if you can't start internally first, before you speak externally first, then you can potentially set yourself up for a lot of trauma. So we started internally first and we had some really great dialogue. There was some that were uncomfortable and that's okay. There was some that had issue and that's okay. There were some that were like, we need to move forward. There were some like, I don't want any part of this conversation because it's too much, it's too much. But the senior pastor was like, hey, we're gonna have this dialogue because there's people lives at stake. We, we, we're the church, we're supposed to have really great solutions for that. So we started there. And once we had that, that dialogue, he had wrote this book, this curriculum, he was preaching this message, he's been carrying this message. Then we shared it with our congregation. And there was a lot of lamenting. You know, people were angry. People were very upset. People, you know, and this is not just the the, the African-American community. This was all communities. This was black, white, because our church is very diverse. And people were confused. They were hurt. They were saddened. They were burdened um, to say, how can I help? What can I do? You know, it, it prompted a lot of conversation, you know, and our senior pastor was challenging, say, hey, get with someone who don't look like you and here's some easy tools for you to have conversation. You know, one of the things he talks about in his book is in-group, out-group bias. And so, you know, you're more in your in-group bias, when you have an in-group bias is people that you most identify with. So for example, if there's like yourself, there's a, a black woman who has a podcast, you would be able to identify with her because you guys share similarities and things. Myself, if I'm a if I'm talking to an ex-basketball player or former professional basketball player, that's my in-group by that's my in-group. I know those people. We know those people. So you're more likely to have those conversations with those folks. You're more inclined to have those conversations with those folks. And out-group bias is having conversation with people that you have nothing in common with. But here's the beauty of it. When you can find something that you do have in common with that person, it is an entry point for you to have dialogue about life and whatever is going on, in this case, racism. And so our senior leader was challenging us like, hey, Find someone who don't look like you and then identify what you do have in common with this person. So, for example, if you're a, a, a white woman and a black woman and you come from totally different backgrounds, maybe one was really, really poor. One was really, really uh, wealthy. But you guys have young daughters. Talk about what does it mean to be a mother. And how you love your daughter. Start there and then continue the dialogue. So he. He gave some really easy, um, applicable tools and entry points to have this conversation. And during that time, and even now, now it's more prevalent to have that conversation. Prior to that, it was like suppress, suppress, don't really talk about it. Oh, you know, we'll bring it up. But then all the stuff blew up and it forced us to have the conversation as a society and humanity, not only here in America, but this is it impacted the world. 
they impacted everybody. Like, man, we need to have we need to have this dialogue. Our church was really, really proactive in that. Praise God for your pastor. Praise God for, for him. Did you lose membership? Because I heard a number of large congregations, especially with more white congregants, they lost membership during this type of conversations. Did you lose members? Yeah, we, we did. We, we lost some, some membership. Some people left. Some Again, you know, they felt that the conversation may have been too tough. Some of them is too uncomfortable. Some of them left for, you know, there's a bunch of reasons why, you know, our senior pastor was being proactive. He was on CNN. He was all over, you know, he was all over the, the, the media. He was very visible carrying this great message, but his message is so balanced on about how you get really sensible solutions and how you have really good dialogue. Again, I would encourage a listener, pick up the third option. It's an amazing resource by Pastor Miles McPherson. It's definitely one of the most more, more balanced uh, books on the topic of racism. But we did lose people. We lost people for multiple reasons. But then what usually happens is you lose those folks and then new people come because they leave environments where they're not having the conversation and they want to talk about it. but their, you know, their, their church or their leader is not having the conversation. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Well, you know, I know we're preaching the word of God, but you can be, you can still be relevant enough to talk about God and really, you know, maybe bring strength to an issue that needs some repair. How come we're not talking about? So they would come to, to our church and, and vice versa. Last thing I would say about that is that when you do go on a journey, it's never easy to figure out something that's super complicated and super sensitive. However, if you if you're willing to go on a journey and allow God to be in the middle of it, it'll always be worth it. Amen. In this particular question, what do you think the practical solution is to overcoming inequalities, inequities and injustices among black people? Yeah, first it has to start with yourself. You need to have dialogue in your own home. You need to have dialogue internally within yourself. Um, you need to understand how God made you, um, who he's, what he says about you. And I, I, it may sound like a pastoral answer, but I'm just I'm just going to give it give it to you the, the real the real answer. The, what I know from outside looking in from not knowing God to now knowing God. And this will really, really help you get towards that solution. Start in your home. Have dialogue with yourself. Have dialogue with your family, your young kids in your home, the people the, the, within your family. You know, un, un, you know, obviously, COVID is a very, very terrible thing. We know that it's ravaged a lot of lives. But one of the good things that came out of COVID is it forced us into our homes where we needed to have discussion amongst our families about many topics. Uh, racism. Some of us that were in our homes found out that maybe we weren't as strong of parents as we thought we were, and we needed to become better parents to our kids. Um, Maybe we weren't as patient. Maybe we found out that, you know, in the midst of being married, the busyness of, of doing stuff day in and day out, you weren't as good of a spouse to your companion as you thought you were, because you were forced to be in your home day in and day out. So first it has to start with you. Then it has to spread into your home. Okay. And then once it goes to your home and you get your home in order, your mindset and your home in order, then you venture out and you're, then you be willing to have dialogue with people who don't look like you and don't agree with you and don't force your opinion on that person, but have a listening ear and an open heart. Doesn't mean you have to fully subscribe to what they're saying. But you have to be willing to listen and have dialogue without being offended because they don't think like you, they don't view like you do, and so on and so forth. And so I feel that's the best way to arrive upon a solution, because if you if you do it in those regards with that intention, like I'm here to listen, I'm here to give perspective. Or maybe you don't say one word, but you're a listening ear. The greatest leaders are the deepest listeners. You want to be able to listen and say, okay, I understand. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I can't tell you how many pastors I've spoken to that aren't African-American, that are Hispanic or white, and they share their opinion. And you would be enlightened to hear 
their view on things. Say, oh, okay, I get it. And how you kind of like stumble upon an answer. Like, hey, what if we tried this right here and maybe brought this solution to this people group that we don't have access to? What do you think that? Well, let's try it. And we try it and it actually works. Why? Because it started with you dealing with yourself first, dealing with your home next, and then being willing to listen that on the exterior. I think that's the best way we as a society, Black, White, Hispanic, you know, male, female can really progress on great solutions and really make uh, each other stronger especially in this season. Thank you. Thank you. So is there anything you would like to share that I've not asked you? Oh man, no, that uh, God loves, loves people. He loves you. If you're listening to this, you can really know for a fact that, and I'm speaking out of experience again, I didn't, wasn't raised in a church. My desire was not to be a pastor. I was going to be a professional basketball coach. I was heading in that direction and I was heading very fast that way. Um, but that if you can understand that it's about God and people, you will have so much purpose. You will have so much joy. You will so have so much passion in your life. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's an easy thing. It's a hard thing. You're going to experience hard stuff going in your life. You're going to have family members that get sick. You're going to see people get into fights. You're going to see people get into arguments. You're going to see things that are very horrible. But when you have the Prince of Peace living inside of your heart and in your mindset, you're able to help navigate those storms with the with the mindset that I can glorify God and a heart posture that I can actually bring strength and help people, including myself in this whole thing. So if I were to leave you with anything, you know, I would love for you if I could talk about myself, but it's not about me. It's it's about it's about God. It's about the Lord. Um, he's all called us and woven us into a, a beautiful tapestry story of humanity. Now, how do we help each other? How do we come alongside each other that it's not just about you? I understand some people are struggling and it's really tough right now, but. Oftentimes, when you give attention to relationships and the people around you, then you start to see fulfillment and purpose for your life, even in the midst of your struggle. It's a weird principle, but it actually does work. So I want to leave this with you that if you don't know God and you want a relationship with him, you know, you can give your life to him and start a relationship with him. And I'm not just talking about showing up to the church building and singing the songs and doing all of that stuff. I'm talking about having a real relationship where you can have dialogue like me and you are having dialogue right now and that your life can have fulfillment. It can have purpose. It can have power. It can have redemption and it can have love as you progress forward um, and, and leading uh, others to that same place. So I'll leave you with that. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Hendricks. This was the first time an altar call was made on reimagining Black relations. And I pray that you, that you're listening, will receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Not only will you be blessed, but you will start to live a life of purpose and significance. I'm speaking to you from experience. Thank you again, Pastor Hendricks. And to all of you, our listeners, thank you all for listening to this spiritually focused episode. Please share it with your friends and colleagues and encourage them to subscribe on yourblackmatters.com. Also, if you have any feedback for me, please email me at francesca at yourblackmatters.com. God bless you, Pastor Hendricks and your lovely wife and children. I sincerely appreciate your contribution to the history we are making together. I'm really excited to be a part of it. And to all of you, our listeners, may God bless you as well. And may the Lord bless the United States of America. See you next time. Bye-bye.